0: Thanks for downloading the Fantasy Animation podcast, brought to you as always by us here at fantasy-animation.org. If you spot us online, give us a share and a retweet, a query, a comment, and a like. Anything that gets you involved in our conversations. If you have a favourite podcast episode, a favourite film or TV programme you'd like to suggest, or simply want us to just stop, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you're an ardent listener to the podcast, a newcomer to Fantasy Animation, or want to know what it's really just all about, Give us a star rating and leave us a short review. Every little bit of extra promotion helps us grow and to increase our audience. But for now, please do enjoy the show. It's Payday! Ah! Ah Aha! I'm the pirate
1: captain
2: and I'm here for your gold. Geography field
1: trip. Ah
0: Aha! I'm the pirate captain and the naturist. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest installment of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holliday.
2: And I guess for this episode, I will be uh, surprisingly curvaceous, Alex Sargent.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for that reference that at this point, people might not understand what we're getting at and why you are, quote-unquote, curvaceous. So, uh, this week, we are walking uh, the proverbial fantasy animation plank, falling headfirst uh, for the first time into the Aardman Studios' ocean to deal with their 2012 stop-motion feature, The Pirates, uh, exclamation point, in an adventure with scientists, second exclamation point.
2: Although I believe in it for the international audience, it was, um, this is the second time we've had to do one of these many episodes. Uh, It's, what's it, Pirates, Band of Misfits.
0: You've hijacked the next sentence of my introduction, which was, though released in North America and other places as The Pirates... First exclamation point, Band of Misfits. Um, joining us on this uh, swashbuckling adventure is uh, Richard Haynes. Um, so Richard uh, is a professional stop-motion animator um, and also an academic. He's a senior lecturer working at the Arts University in Bournemouth. He's worked on a variety of children's programmes at Cosgrove Hall Films and Chapman Entertainment, including um, Rory the Racing Car, uh, Rupert uh, Bear, Postman Pat, um, and also has continued to work at Ardman Animations, which is why we're delighted to have him on um, for this episode. Uh, he's worked on the Sean the sheep. Uh, feature, uh, and for this episode as I said, he's worked on Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, so uh, Richard, thank you very much for joining us on the Fancy Animation Podcast No worries, thank you,
1: thanks for having me it's Well,
0: thank- Well, as is, <laughs> this is this is an interesting sort of, you know, when we get creative practitioners on um, it's an, we've got an immediate in, i.e. you know you, there is a film that you are perhaps connected to, we talked a little bit off about your affection for the movie, how you loved working on it um, so I guess to kick things off, we'd, we'd love to know how you came to work on the film, obviously you have um, a relationship with Arma, but how did you come to work on uh, Pirates in an Adventure with scientists? Yeah
1: so yeah when I want to look back it was around uh, 2009 I started at Ardman. it was on the Shaun the Sheep series yep so it was series two Shaun the Sheep um, that was my sort of intro- introduction to Ardman. And that was, so that was your first gig with Ardman. That was my first yeah yep. so I'd, I left Manchester at that time and um, yeah I, had a, I think it was like a three-month contract on Shaun yep. the Sheep and okay it sort of eventually grew into three years I was there so oh wow think, which is fantastic and um, yeah I, that was my introduction to it, really, and, and through working on Shaun the Sheep, um, I remember uh, gradually they brought in, well, they brought in this um, this amazing looking set. It was, obviously, we all knew this this big feature film coming up, and it was in the same studio, so We were all there, sort of animating around Sean Shaun the Sheep, um, and every now and then you sort of pop your head around the, this curtain, you'd see this this wonderful sort of this pirate set with this what was, would become the pirate captain the okay. character. It was like an early version, um, so they were just doing tests at that point and. Um, and then, obviously, like with all projects, um, the project's coming to a close. Shaun the Sheep, and never, all of us wondering, oh, "What's What's next?" next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and we all, all knew Pirates was the next big project. And like with anything at Artman or in any studio, you have to apply for it. And. Um, and I did and uh, got the news that I'd, I'd be offered a role on it. So,
0: so let, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that role. So was it the same role? Um, obviously, we, I introduced you as animator, but what does that, I mean, what, could you speak a little bit about your, I guess your role on, in some cases, Shaun the Sheep, But was that the same role that you then took on on Pirates? Or? Yeah, pretty much.
1: I had to take a slight step back for Pirates because it was the first feature film I'd ever done. So even though I'd done, by that point, quite a bit of children's television animation, yeah. including Shaun the Sheep, um, I had to be a junior what they call a junior animator to begin with on Pirates. Yeah. Uh, but by the end of it, I was, well, I guess you could say, like a senior animator by the end, so I had to prove myself on the film. What,
2: yeah. what does that mean in terms of the the difference in roles? Do the, the seniors get to, what, move the legs and the juniors have to watch, and then, or they have to eyes only. with the water? Or <laughs> like, yeah.
1: It's more, um, what you, basically, as an animator, you do everything in stop motion. So um, unlike the old days, it used to be sort of one, each animator would have their own character, and you might... So there might be multiple animators on a set. Uh, but at Aardman, um, very rarely were there two animators together, so you'd animate everything in the scene. So junior would be expected to uh, do shots that don't necessarily even involve characters. Um, for instance, the shots I did to begin with were cannons firing and flags Hi. waving and things like that. And then eventually I started doing shots with background characters and I became an animator rather than a junior animator. Uh, and the salary matched it. <laughs> uh, and then by the end of it, I was doing very big shots with the main characters, and very very in between. Cl- extreme close-ups to full wide shots with all the puppets. Because so. I
0: actually had a question, or, or a question that I was hoping to ask you, was about uh, obviously the division of labour and whether you worked on characters or whether you worked on specific scenes and sequences, and that's how the work was divided up. But it seems like that was the case. You get certain kinds of set pieces or, or uh, a sequence, as you say, that perhaps might be a, I don't want to say a pillow shot, or, or <laughs> but a, a sort of padding shot or a shot that maybe shows action, and then you progress to a character and so you become a character animator yeah essentially, essentially yeah character animator i
1: mean we will you know when you look at the credits we'll there's a lot of us just as animators yeah as a bunch of us and then you've got uh, the key animators before us which would kind of specialize in a in a character so so one would look after charles darwin for instance one would look after the pirate captain and yeah. and they'd be sort of the go-to animator for if you had questions as an animator yourself or you wanted to run
0: things by them you go to them Ah, oh, that's interesting. So, so that's how you—that's who you're speaking to in terms of who knows yeah. the character. Yeah, I mean, I could give you one. I think with the pirate captain. We love an anecdote. We <laughs> love an anecdote. <laughs> I always tell this to the students. As if well. it's inappropriate, <laughs> we'll just cut it out. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no, no, it's,
1: it's a great one because we. There was one shot I had to do, and it's I'm very you know, privileged to been offered it. It was the very last shot in the film before the credits roll. So wow, quite the end. But the very last shot is this big um, camera movement of all the the pirates cheering, and then we finish up on the pirate captain. He's adjust his hat and he's looking out to sea yep. but i remember we, we spent a whole day talking about what expression he should have <laughs> on his face uh, well, how the eyebrows should be positioned and where his eye should be and and i was discussing it with will will Becher, who, Becher, sorry betcher who's the um senior animator uh, and looked after the pirate captain basically so yeah we spent a whole day discussing it with him and the director peter lord
0: so my question or about labour, you know, labour question mark is yes, lots yes. in terms of <laughs> yeah. how you. I mean, it's okay. So the the animation uh, is clear. Uh, I'm interested in Ardman, obviously as a, as a stop motion studio for, for precisely the reasons that you've uh, explained. I'm also interested in the film, I guess, in terms of its position within Ardman's own feature length uh, history, uh, and in particular how this film was positioned. I guess by the studio, but largely by the critics that received the movie as a return to stop motion styles, stop motion aesthetic, the Aardman look, if you like, after uh, two feature films, um, Flushed Away from 2006 and then slightly later on Arthur Christmas from I think 2010-11, that sort of period, um, which was using computer animated effects or or computer animation. um, How this film is marked as a return to what Aardman do and what they do best. Uh, Alex, fantasy. I know you're interested in in Ardman, British fantasy. We had an interesting discussion about um, uh, the role of fantasy um, in in the film just before we started. What's yeah? Where are you coming to the film from?
2: Well, I guess as a, as a fantasist, I. Um... I'm interested in the in the sort of registers of fantasy going on in Ardman's back catalogue, and this is something um, I've done a little bit of work on before, which is that actually describing Ardman as perhaps the prominent anime, fantasy animators of Britain at the moment seems like not a lot of audiences would necessarily go to that term originally, but that is they are the most successful international peddlers of a certain brand of British fantasy um, that there is, and and. I think Pirates is an interesting film for them, perhaps for all the reasons we've already alluded to, in that, to me, um, all their work up to that point are very much sort of uh, real worlds with elements of fantasy. And, yeah, so you're Shaun the Sheeps, your Wallace and Gromits. These are all exaggerated, cartoonish, grotesque versions of Britain of, of this, whilst this film, to me, feels almost like a fantasy with elements of the real world put back in. This feels very much like a fantasy world of pirate lore and pirate fun with a few sprinklings of Charles Darwin but not really Charles Darwin and <laughs> yeah. Queen Victoria but, but not really Queen <coughs> Victoria and all this kind of stuff and it's interesting that um, that to me this film's like a lavish fantasy world on screen and, and just um, going back to what you said a, a few minutes ago Richard, it's interesting that you sort of the hierarchy is that the juniors worry about the details of the world the flags, the the backgrounds the things like that and, and the more senior worry about character, which I can understand. But actually, so much of what is praised about Arthur, and so much of what I think is is joyous about this this film, is the richness of the fantasy world on screen. So, um, so even though you know, I guess I can imagine, like you know, it feels like a more junior position. I actually think the importance of stuff like getting the flags right, getting the details right, getting Pirate Island right, all this kind of stuff, are what make this film kind of sing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so, so yeah. Did you find working on that stuff? thrilling or did you want to move towards character design because that's the progression of the industry or uh... I
1: personally loved it I just loved the,
2: like you say the, the level of detail in it and realising that world and,
1: and kind of you know every, every day it was like stepping into that fantasy world it was almost like but what what I love about it is yeah you're absolutely right with Wallace and Gromit yeah a very ex- exaggerated version of Brit- Britishness or what we might term Britishness yeah. and then but the thing about Pirates is, is it's, it is it's fantasy but there's so, there's enough elements in it that, that are believable and realistic and that's what um makes it work as, as it's in its own right and queen victoria is interesting because it's such an exaggerated yeah, version yeah, yeah, yeah such a larger than life version and and so historically not quite accurate with charles darwin in the mix and all of that but yeah um but yeah it is it's just got so many levels to it it's so whimsical and ridiculous um that's why I think it just stands alone as such a u- unique
2: film so, so what details can we spot that are yours then in the film uh, yeah I was going to ask <laughs> yeah, about your kind you know, of because
0: obviously yeah. we would normally I think go through go through the movie um, or try and follow the movie through its narrative and beat by beat and scene by scene but actually I guess I'm interested in where you what was your beginning to the movie what what, we, what, what were your details what were your um, kind of contributions that you perhaps look back now and go that's that's mine that's mine that's mine <laughs> um, yeah take us through the, your experience
1: of the movie yeah well I, I've been told that I'm the the worst person to sit next to when watching this film because I'll be going. That's mine. <laughs> oh, I remember I did that, and as soon as I say it, the shot's gone and blink and
0: you miss it. <laughs> um, but so, I, what took you, you know, <laughs> days, months, weeks, or whatever it is, you know, to, to work on? Yeah, um, it's gone in the blink of an eye. it's the nature of animation, yeah, quite easy. But
1: now I look back and I think, yeah, I was lucky enough to be involved in um, in so many different scenes. You know, a lot of the other animators, the senior ones, if they were seen all the way through, they'd um, they might be on a set for. Months on end, you know, doing a particular scene. Uh, Whereas I kind of was towards the end. I was doing sequences. Certainly, the end of the film, I did a lot of the last sequence where everyone's happy again, and we're back on board the pirate ship, and pirate captain and his crew are friends again. You know, all of that.
2: And that's that's a minute and a half sequence in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So because for me, I I hear all these infamous stories about how long these things take. But so how long does that sequence? Well, to give you an idea, we yeah. the
1: the target was kind of six seconds a week per animator. Wow, so
0: six like... seconds a
1: week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Shaun sure. the Sheep was more like six seconds a day. Because it's uh, and everything I've worked on before that was twelve seconds a day. Okay.
2: So what's, what's different then? Why does why do you get five times seven times as long as an animator on a film then? Is it just because the intention to details?
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah, you've got to you're looking at every single frame in detail. You you, you you've got to remember that it's on the big screen and. And it's not just the animation itself. You're being careful, you know, making sure things are clean, making sure things that, um, you know, you have not something, you know. So there's certain things you can get away with in TV. If you knock the camera, for instance, usually you, you can get the camera back and you tweak it and it might be a bit of a jolt, but you, sure. get, you get away with it. But the film you know, it's pretty much start again, you know,
2: because because audiences are expecting a sort of a smoother, cleaner yeah, feel the, to it. Yeah, there's a high, much higher expectation when it's on the big screen mm-hmm. and, and
1: And yeah, with the performance. Like for instance, one shot I did was a very extreme close up of the pirate captain, when uh, Black Bellamy and all the other pirates who want to win pirate of the the year, they're all making fun of him. They're laughing at him, and there was this extremely challenging shot to do, if the camera's easing in, and he's kind of he's 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 really kind of not not liking this at all, and then he starts getting getting even, all in the same shot. So it's all about the eyebrows raising, classic sort of. Tilt of the eyes, jolt of the eyes that Armand loved doing, do and then one eyeball leaves, the other one follows, and then you cut it with the next shot. So that's
2: just. So an expression like that, you're talking two, three weeks of maybe uh, even a month yeah,
1: of work, pop, depending probably on a little bit less. I okay. Mean,
2: uh, yeah, on top of preparation, yeah, might, and everything might be a else going of days on. Preparation. Yeah. Okay. Um, Does that because I was talking about world building and the details of it? I would wonder if like if that work process encourages this attention to detail in that like if you're spending if it's just by the necessity of the of the animation process you're spending this long Worrying about literally every frame of the movie, yeah. In a way, you—I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm doing live-action filmmakers a disservice, but I feel like this is the podcast to do that. You know, it's yeah. just i feel like you don't pause uh, a bit of live footage and go through it frame by frame, worrying about it in that level. Does that encourage you to go? Oh, could we do something different with the sky? Could we do? Could we add a bit here? And does it—or or are all these things all wrapped up months before because you've got all this planning and stuff? A like lot that? of it is
1: wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, as an animator, you're—you're you're kind of the last person there on the set mm. doing your bit if that makes sense so you've got when you're set up for a shot for instance you've got the director obviously telling you what, what they want they go to the storyboard with you on set mm-hmm. you've got the puppets there um, and then once the director leaves he would have had a chat with the, the, the rest of the crew lighting crew would come in and light the set uh, set dressers would come and dress it so, and everything according to what the director has asked for usually in accordance with the storyboard Yeah. so then there's an animator yeah you've got a little bit of freedom in terms of what you can do with the performance, so you can kind of yeah put little things in here and there. You know, the director isn't to the frame saying what they want, uh, and certainly in a series you've got even more freedom. Um, but the way I always think of stop motion is every frame that you do, you kind of it's kind of like you're you're correcting the mistake the mistake of the previous frame, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> because I love that analogy. Because you're kind of trying along and you're going in a very linear fashion. You can't go back and change things. You can if You've got to start again. Mm. Unlike the other mediums, where you can keyframe and tweak things, so you've got every frame is kind of like okay. In that previous frame, I, the puppet was sort of going in that direction. I wanted it slightly more in that direction, so I'll just tweak it so we start going that way. And then, and then you are always kind of thinking like that, um, and that's part of the charm of it, I think. And I think that shows in in the animation in the end. You can. It's got its faults. It's got its sort of.
0: Well, this is the, I suppose this is the thing with with Aardman, and we could talk for a, we could have a podcast about the handmade, and obviously we talked previously about craft and the imperfections that in in this case are connected to Ardman, and very famously the thumbprints in the in the clay and all this sort of thing. Um, but it seems to me this is a different way of thinking about imperfection, not as not as a um, uh, an embellishment or a fingerprint or a. a, a uh, a revelation of labor that would normally be hidden. Here the mistakes or the imperfections come and are, and are sort of become an outcome of performance, i.e. that you are, because you talked about um, performance and you and when you were describing a particular scene you were acting it out, mm-hmm. when you were talking about the captain's eyebrows at the very, very end, um, which is obviously interesting, the animation's relationship to performance, the animator is performer, um, but it seems to be that the way that you're discussing your work on the film Connects up to how we would understand um, Ardenham culturally as this purveyor of, of handmade imperfect animation, but actually the imperfections, as I said, doesn't come from a, a fingerprint that's left unnoticed or that would be left in as a as a signifier of of its handmadeness. It, it seems to me that it become it comes out through a performance that is that is imperfect from frame to frame because it's building on or correcting a series of mistakes as it as it moves on. I mean, do you do you see yourself as a performer as an actor when you are doing these obviously it's more difficult when you're doing maybe the, the canon shots that you described <laughs> yeah. um, are you are you a performer because uh, I know I know you are yes. in the real world as well yeah, yeah. Um, but is that how you approach your your labor is it is it as a, as a performer as an yeah, actor
1: absolutely yeah I totally see it as a, as a performance you, you kind of you become the character you you uh, you will act it out first you know on a film you have time to do that you actually act it out with the director right uh, you, and that's recorded yes you've recorded yep and um, so I had times where I was well with Peter Lord the director if if I had two you know, characters in the scene for instance we would do one version where he's one character on the other then we'd swap he'd discuss it with me I'd ask oh, what, do you, what do you think and then we'd go away with maybe three or four versions where the director likes what you did in that one what you did in that one and the trick as an animator is not to replicate what you see, but to take the elements that you feel work and then exaggerate them and, and kind of... Because all animation needs a reason for being animated. There's no point replicating real life. Um, so you do it, you act it out as well as you can, and, yeah. then, and then you push yourself more. And, and as, as I'm animator, I'm, act, I'm acting it out, I'm feeling it in my own body, I'm kind of... You know, you're on your feet when you when you're doing stop motion. You know, you're very rarely sat down, so that helps. <laughs> I never thought about that actually. That, that walk you out back to grab the frame. You're feeling what you're doing. Yeah, because you're acting it animates. out now. What's interesting
0: is you're acting it out now, and that's <laughs> yeah. oh god, and, it. but this this yeah. idea of kind of method animating. But I wondered whether that kind of embodied, yeah, I wonder whether that kind of embodied acting or that embodied performance comes into conflict with um, the fact that performance is being divided amongst however many um, animators that are working on this movie because if you're in charge of shots rather than characters in some cases or you have a a key animator who is a character animator or you have um, people that are working on background then perf- performance is by a different person yeah. in every sequence so the challenge I mean you, is that not a conflict that you're a performer and an actor and you're um, animating with this character but the next scene will be animated by someone or totally someone different else, yeah. a year down the line or whatever yeah. and they are embodying the character in a different way
1: yeah that's the big difference yeah yeah. if you're acting on stage or something, you become that character and that, that is you but yeah in that, in in animation, you're doing a version of that character that has to be in line with everybody else's version. So you find, that as a team, you try and find like the perfect Pirate Captain. And that's developed a little bit beforehand. So when I had my first shot, I ended up thankfully doing a lot of shots with him. And my first shot with him, I had to really study what had been shot already. So
0: right, so you go back and look at the other...
1: I looked at the other animators' work. You look at it, you think, right, that's what the Pirate Captain would do in that situation. That's... How his eyes react that's how his beard wobbles <laughs> you know that's yeah. that's the sort of walk he's got i mean a walk itself really defines a character and um uh i i, I don't think i did a walk in oh yeah i did do a walk in the film where he's if you remember sequence where he jumps into a bush he's hiding and he's he's trying to get to the zoo oh I yeah was trying to find yeah. him, get polly back so he's mm-hmm. and i did this walk where he's actually inside the bush and it was like a little
0: tiptoe around the but that has to be zoos, in line so. with any other tiptoe that he's done in the film. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. or, at, least,
2: or at least the behaviours he's done to suggest he would tiptoe exactly, like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, it, and um, it's as
1: much about the tiptoe as it is the anticipation that leads into the tiptoe. So it's all that wow, thinking yeah. that the character yeah. does beforehand.
2: Well, that was going to be my thing. Is Actually, it's, the other difference is that this is a performance... We think of performance being captured on screen. When you're... Bef- is happening in between that which is captured on screen right you're only in control of the stuff that happens before and after you press on I'm picturing the camera going in that sort of classic don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) kind of way yeah Yeah. click with a Polaroid a Kodak (laughs) disposable camera but but yeah absolutely so like so how does that like um, can you how does that work in terms of your performing before action and after action, but during action, they're sort of left, the objects are on their own, they're out they're on, on their screen. own. Yeah,
1: that's, that's the magic of it, it really is. That's, that's what I think attracts all, all of us to do stop motion animation. It's that thing of um, the audience just sees the result of what you've been thinking, all your efforts. You, you spend all that time investing your energy and your performance into posing this puppet yeah. for that particular frame, and then you get to a point where you think, like, oh, that. that is it. I'm not gonna do any better, that's that's gonna be the frame. And then when you grab the picture, yeah, you just you stood there waiting for the exposure and it's the, it's and that's the bit that the audience sees. And yeah. It's it's very strange when you when you think of it like that, that it's just like everything that we do is just all hidden and it's all
2: it's like you're you're, sort, past, of, yeah. you're sort of you sort of like I don't you know you're you're dancing with the camera like if you're if this yeah. is a performance you've got a partner and and the partner needs to play along as well. That's a really nice way of putting it. But yeah. but the partner is the camera is the is the filmic element of it and, yeah. and you're your your yeah. Absolutely, that's that's but that's a. You know we often think of performance as things that are happening on screen but actually more and more film theory and philosophies of performance um, are encouraging us to think of actually performance as being something happening with and around the camera and I think animation clearly has always done that and stop motion um, even the more so. It's now that time of the show where we pause for a second and talk about blog posts. What are blog posts? Blog posts are available on fantasy-animation.org every week. A special guest contributor writes one and it can be about all kinds of things um, relating to the worlds of fantasy and animation.
0: If you're an academic, even a screenwriter, maybe a practitioner or an artist, a curator, member of a fan organisation, animation director or anyone with a vested interest in where fantasy and animation might meet, we would love to hear from you.
2: If you're trying to promote some of your work and would like to write a creative reflection on how you were inspired to produce your work of animation, we're here to help. If you're an early career researcher who's looked like to, who would like to get some publication experience and some
0: editorial advice on their work, we're here to help. Blog posts can take many forms. They can be a short editorial or opinion piece, maybe a sequence analysis where it's your chance to get obsessive, pick a short clip from any example of fantasy and animation and analyse the relationship between the two media, mediums and genres. If you've read a book, seen a television programme or film, we'd love to hear from you. If you've been to an event, a conference or even a film festival and planning to take part in any of the above, do get in touch. Fantasy-animation.org But for now, let's get back to the show.
2: The other question I had about performance was, so, and this is back to this idea of perhaps the best thing to talk about fantasy as well as talk about this is the role of creativity in all this process. Because it seems to me this is a very paradoxical animation style in that it, it's very creative and it meticulous and it encourages you to think and, and imagine new ideas at each step of the way, every frame, but at the same time it's meticulous and it has to be organised and has to be planned. So I'm wondering where creativity on this is. And on the relationship with the pirate captain, So you've also got the performer that I think a lot of audience members will come up thinking about, which is the voice performer, right, which annoyingly often is the thing that, you know, oh, Robin Williams is the genie in Aladdin, or Mike Myers is Shrek, um, or in this case, um, Hugh Grant is the pirate captain. What role is that? Did you hear the voice performance beforehand? Was that part of your process in performing? Or did you, that all come later and Peter Law's on set just pretending to be the Pirate Captain with you? <laughs> was that helpful? I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was, yeah, it was a mix of all of that. I mean, okay. we had, yeah, we definitely worked with
1: Hugh Grant's voice. And, and um, he actually came on, uh, he was cast uh, not uh, shortly after we'd started animating the Pirate Captain. So there was some that had been shot before he was cast for the role. Um, and that's where he had to fit his voice to what had been shot, mm. just for those shots. That's interesting. But the rest of the film was animated to his voice, so he it, it wasn't there from the beginning. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's to be honest, it's one of those things that I've never been able to put my finger on. This thing of yeah, how much you, you're just kind of doing it. This this thing of how much creativity you're putting putting in. You know, the director tells you what what they'd like, and you've got the storyboard, and you know, you know. In terms of the character starts from a they've got to get to b they've got to get there in in this certain way you always ask yourself where they've been where they're going what's their motivation for this particular point in the story Uh, and i guess the creativity comes with all the little nuances you can fit in um, on a frame by frame basis um which like i say is extremely difficult to to pin down It's, it's this thing of you're doing a version of that character but it's your version but it's it's close enough to all the other versions that hopefully it's, it's
0: quite seamless. Well, this is one of the issues, I think, in animation more broadly in relationship with animation performance and how for... Well, certainly, I think, within the contemporary context, so much of animated performance has been connected up and discussed in relation to something like motion capture, which has this sort of... Um, yeah, a degree of, 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 of a myth of authorship around the relationship between, or one to one relationship between the human figure and the action that's being transcribed and, and um, created within a computer and then kind of spat out at the end. But it seems like the way that you've described performance is this constant negotiation between separately defined spheres of labor, i.e., one person on one shot versus Hugh Grant having to, yeah, on the one hand, match his voice up to animation that already exists and then provide a cue for future work. Um, I was, I guess, I suppose I was going to have another, uh, another question about whether there are one set, whether there's one set of puppets, because you mentioned the puppets earlier, um, and I, I know from from writing about um, Chicken Run and and th- uh, looking at and, and looking at the making of book actually, and you brought the making of uh, the Pirates book with you today to give us a little behind the scenes flavour of what what kind of goes on, but th- are there different versions of the puppets? So that this means that different animators can work simultaneously, or is there? I mean, I, I, I'm just interested in scale and size, and whether if people are just working on shots without a voice in, like with the cannons, you, you're working on a, I don't know, a shot that is big, large, small, to scale, are these big feet, are these are sort of big faces, bigger faces than previous scenes, how does that How does that work when you are, here's a puppet, go off and do something with yeah. it? Yeah, uh, well in terms of
1: duplicates, yeah, we had seven or eight of each character at least, I think, certainly with the pirate captain and the main, the main characters.
0: And are they all to scale, are they different yeah, sizes?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we had any a different scale um, okay. occasionally Aardman do they might have a, like a large hand for a, a very extreme close up of a hand holding something and I think that, that certainly happened on Shaun the Sheep so I'm sure it happened on Pirates as well
0: um, but, so that allows a kind of simultaneity of production with, with yeah. lots and lots of different animators focusing on different elements yeah. different, and then they can come to the shot work on it simultaneously and the film gets done in you know four years rather than five right, yeah. <laughs> well, but interestingly
1: as well with the Pirates Captain, we also had lots of duplicates of his hands because um, uh, a, lot, a lot of people probably don't realise most of these puppets aren't made of plasticine; they're actually silicon. What? Made. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I know about art <laughs> was um, a big it's Right? Fun. Yeah. But um, it's still got that plasticine look. But part of the uh, the plasticine that was absolutely retained was around the brow section. Yeah. Because you can get subtleties of the plasticine, and the the eye and brow section is so important to communicate into an audience, and so that was nice. So that was all sort of blended into like a resin head. Um, resin mouths uh, but for the hands we had a mixture of silicon hands and plasticine hands and if you had a, a, a character holding something in a very specific way a silicon hand wouldn't always do the job you'd wrap it around as best as they can like a sword for instance you could wrap yeah. it around but with the plasticine hand you can sculpt it around and that's the difference you can sculpt it and get it to look absolutely right um, so i just remember in the, the store the store rooms, all these puppets you'd have all these duplicates of the characters and then you get hundreds of pairs
0: of hands as well. <laughs> Just Quite my she, sinister, really. his yeah. <laughs> hands, and I can imagine hands and eyeballs and mouths and all these sort of replacement. Because I know yeah. from, you know, thinking about Ardman's claymation work, if it is even that anymore, this <laughs> bombshell of silicon, um, swapping in mouth, obviously the particular mouth design. Um, we'll, you know, we'll, we will get to the plot at some point. But maybe we won't. <laughs> um, we've already done the final sequence. Uh, but Ardman having a distinctive look and a distinctive style and a distinctive mm. aesthetic, which... I didn't get immediately from this like I feel like it It doesn't look it doesn't look, I, look I, I, and it's just come to me now thinking about the design of the characters and, and stuff um, Arban obviously has a particular kind of look and you talked about the eyebrows as a signature maybe of the student, and how it, it gives that movement particularly in the final shot yeah. but the, the, would it be fair to say that these characters don't look like Wallace and Gromit but they also don't look like Early Man, which I know you also also worked on, which which does have that sort of wide mouth. Wide mouth, yeah. Um, exactly. This doesn't look like it feels like an Arblan film, whatever that means. But it doesn't necessarily look in terms of the um, visual style. Was that no. is that a conscious was that a thing? Yeah, the... I'd say it's
1: because this this basically it's not a Nick Part film. You know, Wallace and Gromit, Creature Comforts, Early Man, they're all Nick Park's projects, and Nick Park's got that wonderful distinctive style that, that he developed with with. Wallace and Comet. Yeah. And that's where it began really, those those lovely wide mouths and, and, and so on. Pirate's got a, a kind of an element of that, but it's it's I think it stands as its own film in its own right, you know, in terms of style and and um, the, the look and feel of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree it's not a typical Arden film in, in design. But
0: it, but it's interesting then, even even though it's not a typical arden film in, in design, a lot of the way that the film Um, as I said earlier, was received, was that this was a return to what Avman do best. Um, It had, I think earlier on, had signed a production deal with um, DreamWorks, and they made Flushed Away as this kind of co-production. That sort of fell by the wayside. They then set up a a, a deal with Sony Pictures, so Arthur Christmas was the first one, um, and Pirates was the second one. But this film, very much after that brief, um, I guess, anomaly, or this, uh, certainly within, as we sit here today, those two um, computer animated films, Flushed Away and Arthur Christmas, stand is these really interesting experiments with digital aesthetic that yeah. subsequent, the studio hasn't gone back to. So they stand as this really interesting set of films that were, I guess, a departure, an anomaly, um, where they were playing, combining maybe their stop motion look with CG technology for the first time. Um, occupying that space between Plasticine and Pixel and yet this is the film that's like okay we're back now to what Ardman this is what Arman are really about they're really about this yeah. but you're saying off air that this was originally intended as a digital and there are digital elements in the film as well yeah oh, yeah, yeah
1: there were definitely like, a lot of the sets were expanded and the, all the background characters when you've got a huge crowd scene like when all the scientists are sat there and they're watching with the, <laughs> the captain reveal the dodo and everything it's, it's most of those are CG and, um, but the interesting thing is that was all in house so I remember um, crossing paths with some of the CG animators and um, got to know some of them, and they would all say that they approached it as if it was stop motion. They actually animated it almost frame by frame, you know, not allowing the computer to in between too much. And... Yeah,
0: so kind of digital clay sculpt. I suppose the yeah. characters are. They want to retain a look or that seamlessness with the stop motion footage that already exists, or yeah, or at exactly. least match up the characters and and kind of craft out of digital clay. I know that a lot of the rhetoric around uh, Flushed Away, in particular, these were just, hey, it's fine, this is just Armand, even though it's digital, it's still Arman, Don't worry. Yeah. Um, whereas here, there seems to be a lot more. We're combining Ar, you know, what what you love about Armand in terms of stop motion and and that tangible material, three dimensional uh, models with digital effects the sea I think is digital the, a lot the of the sea, sea is there was huge
1: talk going, that went on about the sea Yeah, they, they, they spent ages on it like developing this very realistic sea yeah. and it looked too good <laughs> They actually looked too realistic so they, they came up with um, if you look at it, it it's not that realistic but it's realistic enough again it's that thing of it being believable but in that,
0: that world ha- I feel like that happens a lot certainly with with, and I've told this story many times but um, production of Finding Nemo the you know footage animator's are given real footage of water and told to replicate it. They then go and replicate it, hold up the two pieces of footage and the animators can't tell the difference. And then you're like, well... And you mentioned earlier about the point, a uh, point of animation. You actually want to retract from realism a little bit, take a yeah. step back. and uh, Because I, I noticed, actually, the, wa- the sea looks very different from, like, the bump. So when um, Ashley Jensen's character, um, um, surprise, the curvaceous... You, surprise. Surprise. The you gestured in <laughs> <and> the opening <laughs> gambit of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, when she's in the bath, and um, you know, yes. we, we know... That she's female and she puts the beard on. The water looks very different in the bath, that it, it looks very yeah. jelly or sort of frog spawny, very jelly, yes. jelly like, um, which is very different to the sea. And so, um, it's interesting that there is a deliberate retention of a certain kind of whether we call it an Aardman aesthetic, or there's a certain retraction from yeah. absolute realism that CG can produce. Yeah.
2: But but I also think the film is a, I mean, I think it is a little bit and um um of an oddball in the canon, yeah, I think. I think yeah. it's it much more fantastic. It's much more sort of larger than life than, um, than than the Wallace and Gromits or even Early Man. I mean, Early Man obviously, I mean, is, is prehistoric and all this sort of stuff. But it's it's football and it's you know it's very much this earthly grounded. Thing that Ardman's always been interested in, whilst yeah. this is, um, you know, it's it's funny and it's spiky and it's subversive, but it's a great big swash. But there are loads of great big action sequences in this um, yeah, in this bath, film. Yeah. Well, um, the one that stood out always stands out in my mind is you kind of alluded to
1: the bath chase. We always oh, the bath yeah. chase. Yeah, the bath chase. There's a whole maker of the documentary just on that, and I think every animator in the film was involved with it at some point. And yeah, this, this that, I mean, that scene alone to to. Months to, to complete. Every shot was so complex in its own right. But what Arvin always insists on, if they can, is to do as much as they can in camera. So they rely on CG. Going back to CG and they rely on it as little as possible. Okay. So the bubbles that you mentioned were, was actually um, oh, they were like these these beads that we had that we mixed with like um, tacky wax. And I remember I was animating blobs of them spilling out of the bath on bits of wire and obviously the wire would be painted out later
0: <laughs> so that's where cg <laughs> so is play. that's where cg is really important then because yeah. you're erasing you're erasing what so you are yeah, you you're are, taking pl- a
1: digital plate of the empty yeah. set um if it's a camera move you've got to shoot it again and then you go back and paint those frames out and that would be somebody else so
0: even on. though the, you know you could make a, that, that bath chase sequence is stop motion in its entirety uh
1: Pretty much, yeah. The yeah, digital I is, is
0: digital. I, I, I would have just assumed as a punter, well, as a punter that's
2: thought about it a little bit, that it would have been largely CGI. Wouldn't no, I, I, don't th- I, yeah, I don't think there's any CGI. But some that. things taken out. But, it, but then
0: it is CG because stuff is being taken because out. Because of that, right, yeah. There's in, nothing
2: added to it, yeah. Okay. I don't think so, no. Unless they added the, the odd bit of...
0: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. so because th- I know a lot of the debates around Flushed Away was this—the reason you know the film is set underground in an alternate version of London, where water and the sewers plays this prominent role. The film is called Flushed Away, for goodness' sake—and um, a lot of the sort of yeah, we we could only do this in CG. This was really important to us. This is why we're migrating to CG and so forth. Um, but it seems like there's there's something interesting about then the role of computer animation or digital technology or that digital process of mediation where. Stop motion is being mediated digitally in the way that, because you mentioned earlier about clean, like the footage is clean. Is, is, does that mean cleaned up? Does it mean, you know? It
1: means we just got through a lot of baby wipes,
0: basically. <laughs> oh, were you literally it's clean? The, one of the most
1: essential animators' tools is baby oh, wipes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That yeah. will go
0: in the description of this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we talked about
1: baby We nothing else today. That <laughs> yeah. will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just perfect for cleaning plasticine, But okay. is it was a, I remember we went through so many brands as well. I don't know what the best one was at the end. They were like, we'll try Asda once a bit, and now we'll try right. Tesco once. Other will- wipes are available. Yeah. Yes. Um,
0: That'd yes. be like an odd eat well for
2: less feature, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Which of the uh, non-branded Baywrights work best for cleaning up pirates uh, yeah. in, I uh, uh, in a store- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'd I mean, yeah. So
0: uh, the film begins. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the bathtub sequels because I feel like that's pretty much halfway... Um, Roughly speaking, so up to that point, we have we've talked about the pirate captain. The pirate captain is this uh, pirate who wants to be the you know pirate of the year, Um, can't become pirate of the year, um, or people will laugh at him. Other pirates laugh at him. Um, So, I have just a thought on this, and maybe this
2: is because I can't help allegorize things because I've basically been trained to do it for about 10 (laughs) years. But, like, so the other thing with Aardman's history, right? So, this is this is what this is after Wallace and Gromit obviously Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Yep. did that win the Academy Awards for best animation?
0: Okay. Wallace and Gromit uh, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Believe okay. Yeah. So that was the first time one of the first times that it wasn't a Pixar movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 then this is is this the next one after that in terms of a seat, as a, in terms of a stop motion. There yes. might have been Arthur Christmas right after.
0: Yeah, so Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were-Rabbit, won... Academy Award in yeah. 2005, and then the next movies are flushed away. Yes, CGI. CGI. After Christmas, and then this. I don't know whether there was some yeah. TV Wallace and Gromit, you know, ongoing stuff in the background. Um, in terms of, I you know Wallace and Gromit were in a lot of adverts. Yeah, or have d- been in a lot of uh, Christmas
1: invention ones they did. Oh, what were they called? Yeah. Matter of Life and Death, I think followed. Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, fine.
0: so it might so, not be Ardman. So um, maybe in, in terms of feature length, this is Ardmans next. I'm just
2: interested because like a, a lot Ocean. of a lot of rhetoric of British fantasy requires um, us to root for the underdog, mm. right? That's that's what British fantasy does. American fantasy. Um, it's nation building. It's heroic. It's adventurous. We cheer on the sort of heroic hero. Um, you know, here we like we like the underdog. We like the the scrappy person that you know, the Wallace who is not really in with society and things like that. Yeah. And it's and it's just interesting, as I say, it's an allegory. Um, it's very hard to keep making and Alden kind of present themselves as that, right? We have Nick Park turn out in his bow tie at the Oscars, <laughs> yeah. um, while everyone else is sort of you know sitting next to um, Michael Eisner at Disney and all this kind of crazy stuff. So it is interesting. Interesting, but the first feature after *Wallace and Gromit* wins the best Oscar category, steals it off Disney and DreamWorks, is a film where pirates try and win an award and then decide that actually trying to win an awards is not the best way to live one's life and you should just sort of yeah, be true to yourself. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's full of these <laughs> sort of references to this guy's obsession with like, you know, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and I quite often they're trying to rebuild this sort of underdog status for the pirates whilst creating this wonderful lavish CGI. So it's this, you know, it's it's almost more American and less American yeah. at the same time. Yeah, Which true. is weird
0: because obviously you're, uh, as a, or sensibly, a co-production. You know, this is an Arben mm-hmm. feature. We're talking about it as an Arben feature, of course, um, but it is part of this Arben's relationship or industrial relationship with Sony Pictures. Um, obviously, the, I'm thinking about the role of uh, Black Bellamy, voiced by an American actor, and that sort of brash, the way that he. You know, there are. There are. I think there are three main characters, or. Three characters that are positioned as antagonists. So, Pegleg Hastings, voiced by Lenny Henry, um, Cutlass Liz, voiced by Salma Hayek, no less, um, and Black Benny, voiced by Jeremy Piven. And these are sort of like the three larger than life characters. And then, of course,
2: there's Queen Victoria as well. Well yes of course Sorry, yes, yes, I was going to say sort of, yes But yeah. um, within, voice... yes. within the pirate yeah, world Within the pirate world
0: Because yeah. she famously Queen Victoria Voiced by Melta Staunton Doesn't like pirates Absolutely um, yes, So exactly. there, are, you know, there are these three <laughs> Kind of larger than life characters That are all about winning awards And they have this big entrance uh, About 20 minutes into the movie About this is This, is, you know, this award This pirate of the year Award that we yeah. want to win um, And
2: And it's just Jeremy I mean oh, So Hollywood actor That's what Hollywood actor it. Hugh Grant who, uh, what, whose career at this point also is very much like this is pre Florence Foster Jenkins. This is Paddington Two, two yep. where you know his sort of career resurgence. So this is very much an actor who is also going through this. I once was touted as an Oscar winner, but not now. I'm just this guy that's in lots of kind of naff British sitcoms, <laughs> yeah, um, um, and well British uh, rom-coms and things like that. So yes, that's interesting.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the. Yeah, the role of uh, America in that, in, in terms of the voice cast. I don't know whether it feeds well, into your. Well,
2: can I ask about the sort of production culture on set? Do we, you know, the, the way this is painted is, you know, Amer- that it's an Aardman production mm-hmm. financed with some studios in the background. Yeah. Is that reality? Is this an all British. Um, Crew, um, are there any Ameri- are there any uh, CGI being done in the states while this is all happening? Is there any collaboration at the production level? Is it literally finance and executives and you guys aren't worrying about that? Uh, yeah, we weren't
1: really worried about. It. I mean, from, cool. from our point of view, we had we had people from all over the world working on it. You well, know, mm. yeah, sure. And, uh, but we didn't have you know all, everything was in house. But we're all so, in Bristol and all, and, all um, in Bristol. All there. Um, uh, yeah, no, Sony didn't get involved in that sense. It was just that kind of there was this sort of trust, you know, Sony. Mm. You know, Arvin obviously got a good track record, and um, so you were happy for Arvin to just carry
0: on. But it feels like a and that sort of tussle between, uh, you know, two studios. If the film is this tussle between American and British values and so forth, you get this kind of big. You know, the film itself I think is a thematically is a post parts of the Caribbean. Like that's that's yeah. the that's a nice little reference point. The pirate pirate films are are big, and we like them, and that's great. Uh, and then what this film does is sort of nuances that a little bit. I think in the same way that you get Edgar Wright. The Cornetto trilogy, sort of taking the, the horror genre, taking the action film, genre, and and bring it to the level of a you know a village in Somerset or a you know a, a, a housing estate or a small little part of North London. Um, this what I liked about this this movie is that it has this sort of it's a swashbuckling epic, um, but it also has a moment where. You know the captain pirate captain is dipping a custard cream into a mug that says the world best captain, yeah. and it's yeah. these little British and they're all British with
2: ham, which I can't. It's a very Monty Python sort of s touch yeah. where they just yeah. you know what? How many? <laughs> can you name two elements? Uh, oh yes, uh, gold <laughs> golden ham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got two, but it yeah. sounds. Sort of, yeah, 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 try yeah. three, that's good enough. But there's <laughs> yeah. a sort of nuancing
0: of, of of a genre that we might mm. understand of as a American or certainly an epic um, kind of movie with with these sorts of Um, British, and I think Hugh Grant's really important then to that. He becomes, obviously in the 90s, he's very much a symbol of working title, British, the um, uh, ascension of working title as a studio, his relationship with Richard Curtis, um, the return of the romantic comedy, or the British iteration of the romantic comedy that sort of returns again with When Harry Met Sally in the American context. Um, But obviously the film plays, or or London I think, plays an important role in the film, because it begins. the film begins in London, what is it, 1837, he says, looking at his notes, Uh, 1837, uh, and it has, you know, familiar introductions. It actually begins very similarly to something like Flushed Away. Flushed Away begins with lots and lots of uh, London landmarks. This is, um, opens in London, St Paul's Cathedral, you see what Charlotte Bronson in her book on London calls Landmark London. We have the Queen what she's eating, she's just sitting at her... And it's all very regal and very yeah, proper. And, and all Britannia is played, isn't it? Yeah, which, re- which returns throughout. Yeah. Um, and then I think the second half of the... Is it the, pretty much the second half of the, the movie when you get London calling by the... And then we're into what is effectively the second half that plays out pretty much... Apart from the last maybe five minutes it plays out london yeah um so a treatment that's i'm wondering kind of british british fantasy mm-hmm. i don't really know what where i'm going with this but i, I wonder whether the film's representation of london is not classic or it's not when you're animating when you're when you know that the film is set in london what what are you teasing are you teasing out elements of britishness elements of londonness are you are you ah this is what this is how we can introduce a sort of national uh, a bit of britishness into this otherwise Hollywood-esque genre. Um. You playing with the nuances on the except because obviously Arben and the eccentricities of, of, of British life, Wensley, Dale etc.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess story-wise, they would have would have done. But um, from an animation point of view, you just kind of you just have as much fun with it. You, you as a crew, we kind of knew that this was like um, it's still a very silly film, you know, not taking itself too seriously, and yeah. that's the charm of it. So it's a version of London. It's it's a it's a. a Fantasy version of London, you know, a version that never really existed, an exaggerated version. That's the the beauty of it. So it's weird though. This this thing of Britishness, you know, I always think of Armada as so British, but when when you actually ask somebody like Peter Lord about the Britishness, um, they, they struggle to define it. They just, mm. they, it's, it's almost like it's so ingrained that we don't really realise <laughs> that we're we're doing it. You don't. You it, don't we, think don't. about it. Yeah. You just don't think about it. And um, I love the the comparison to Monty Python because I think they did. Those, those epic films that they did those themes that they took but they were so ridiculous at the same time yeah. that they were just kind of making fun of themselves and I think I, Aardman certainly do that
2: and they have those cut out animation yeah. low fi animation sequences I think it, if it it is a struggle to define what is British about Aardman but I think as a punter it's something about their the kind of stories they tell, the kind of characters they have—it's yeah, the windiness of it, absolutely. Kind of really, it's yeah. it absolutely, and it's sort of Bino-esque, and it's yeah. Monty Python-esque, and it's—it's it's drawing on all these kind of uh, cultural melting pot things from art, from sort of at least a version of Britain or a type of Britain's yeah. past. Um, and then also, I think the stop motion thing—we were talking about this a, a couple of episodes back when we did Pogles Wood—and there's something about sort of the the, the folkloric nature of that blending with this very you know small films lo-fi you can see the cracks you can see I think at least whether this is you know a reality or not but we, we're dealing with fantasy not reality audiences like to, certainly British audiences like Ardman because there's this feeling that there are a bunch of British people in a shed, yeah. you know, uh, it's not clean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's absolutely clean and crisp, like, it's it's, it's by design like that, but there's this feel that it's homemade yeah, uh, exactly, about yeah. it, and there's something about that combination of the two that I think gives it its British yeah, yeah. Um, identity, so it's, I, it sounds like there's a lot of decisions you had to make on set, which like, how do you make it clean and crisp and professional without it looking not Aardman?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, and then that thing about the thumbprint you know i think they, yeah. they've gradually moved away from that but but not completely if they completely lose it they'll lose that yeah. kind of like quality to it
0: and well, like, i know they put it back in like fake ones into flushed away like into their digital movies to play exactly with that yeah. with that presumably the occlusion of it in digital technology to play with the kind of this is the perfect imperfection. Yeah, We've got this imperfection perfect. It's clean It's and it's done kind of digitally. The
1: way I've kind of felt about it over the years with Armin is is in terms of order of importance with their animation, to them the most important thing is the performance, so the, the timing, quality of all of that. Secondary to that is kind of how clean it looks on screen. And then thirdly, it's the smoothness of the action. So they actually put least importance on that. If you think back to Morph and how kind of shaky looking some of those old films were but we totally understand the performance because of the timing the timing is is just right and it's and I think that that's what kind of for me separates Auburn for instance from Leica films mm. who are absolutely wonderful films in their own right but they're they're so slick almost to the point where everyone questions is that CG is that stop motion mm. <laughs> you know whereas Auburn aren't afraid to celebrate
2: stop motion for the imperfections that that it's all about you know? Does it show back to what we were talking about earlier? The performance better. Yeah, Look, I we're think we're performing so. with this. Here's the gaps. Here's the bits. Here's the pauses. It's here's celebrating the... those.
1: Yeah, those imperfections and, and kind of having fun with them
2: and not again not taking it too seriously. <laughs> it's um, it's a punch and Judy show. Yeah, we know they're we know they're beneath the curtain. You can see them. You can see their knees coming yeah. <laughs> out of the side there, can't you? Yeah. But you're not worrying about it because it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think there's absolutely something in that. It's interesting here. So what, like, you know, you, you said earlier when you started on it, you were doing sort of objects in the background. Could you just give us, like, one example where that played out with one of them? Did you start off and go, right, I bet this is slick as possible, and they were like, it's not fitting, or you just did it perfectly because you'd already worked on the set with the like, how Or do they just give you free reign because it's a flag in the background, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, well, I do remember we were doing lots of testing for things first, so...
1: Um, if you're not shooting on something, normally they'd find you a little testing booth. And um, there's a sequence where there's ghosts. There's like a ghost ship that yeah, the pirate Yeah. So that yeah, I was going to say that's in
0: a series of sequences where he's try- pirate captain is trying to find a ship with loot, and he goes through um, a school trip. A nudist. A, nudist yeah. a nudist yeah. one, and yeah. Yeah. one of them is a ghost. <laughs> so which, yeah, can, yeah. And I remember for this girl we had this ghost on a rig and, and we had to
1: experiment with the wispiness of the, the tail of the ghost and I did endless tests on it and then someone else did. What was
0: the material? What was the ma- plasticine. plasticine, it was a
1: blo- big block of plasticine and, and it was just making it sort of, wanted, it's, it's hard to define exactly what you want until you see it, like even the director couldn't really describe what they wanted, they just had to see it. So you're kind of going through all these different versions and then right. finally you just, you just find it, it's like oh okay, that's the one.
2: And what, were some too smooth, some too jerky? Yeah, some, some
1: was way too smooth. And almost to the point where it looks mechanical. Yeah. That's that's the danger of it. So then you've got to think, like well, it's gotta be a bit more random. So you ask yourself as an animator, does that mean it needs more structure? Where you're really thinking about, okay, more that way, less that way, or do you just kind of switch off and just do anything? Yeah.
2: What was the what was your solution?
1: I tried switching off first and it looked okay. And Done. then I did another version where I was
2: too fussy, and the one the the initial one looked better. So Okay. So it is about Relaxing a little bit, think, if there's a yeah. way of doing that in this yeah, process. Yeah, in my experience,
1: I think, if you relax into it, and, and often where you're not too fussy... Like, I think back to TV programs i worked on, and I've got fond memories because you've got to work so fast, and that's sometimes really improve your work, because you, you, you're kind of doing it on the spur of the moment. As soon as you're slowing down, you get very fussy, and that's one danger of a feature The film.
0: danger of kind of contemplation, where you're thinking yeah, about yeah. it.
1: And I imagine... I haven't, I haven't worked on a Leica film, but I can imagine... Process there is so meticulous that it's kind of, I don't know, you <laughs> can eat the energy out of you, maybe. I don't
0: know. It was interesting that you mentioned, mentioned Leica because obviously we've, we've looked at Leica previously, but um, I guess there, if we're thinking about this film as a return to stop motion as part of this second film uh, they distribution deal with Sony um, this is I guess unsurprising given studios like Leica you've got um, Corpse Bride, Coraline M- uh, Mary and Max, Fantastic Mr Fox Paranorman, Frank and Weenie, Box Trolls all these movies including and, and, and Leica and, and others Anomalisa, so Kubo, My Life as a have, like stop motion seems to be getting a sort of um, I would say resurgence but there's something the pleasure of of object animation at a time when digital aesthetics computer graphics are threatening to envelop what we consider contemporary animation more broadly obviously within a, perhaps a, a western context um, yeah. but it seems as well you get films <coughs> like The Lego Movie where there is a, a, a sort of a, a, a Decided that now the handmade is something that can be replicated digitally, and there's a yeah. there are, even with for animators in computer graphics, there retains the pleasure of the craft of stop motion and, and yeah. digital, and, and and so I think yeah, this film in terms of timing, the the film is important because it's also within a broader wave of interest mm-hmm. around around stop motion, and actually yeah. part of the pleasure of the film for me is that I was kind of fascinated by the pirate captain's beard, and I was just to see just to see the, to see the yeah. imperfections. Um, because there is, yeah, there's a, I guess there's a pleasure when stop motion can go too, too smooth and too meticulous and too uh, organized. And, and we like that, m- that clean messiness yeah. of and We like a messiness that is visible to us that actually yeah. isn't hidden. Head- and I like the idea that, that we have this, when there's, we see a thumbprint, it's, it's, it reveals the labor, but actually what it does is, is it reveals that dance or that yeah. creative bargain that you as animators have to strike with the object that you're given. Here is an object, and you then have to cast it in a roll. and that's how you work with the face or the arms or the the you know the tiptoeing, if you like. Um, so we're about, well, I think we're about halfway through the film now. Um, but so so I guess so you you mentioned that you made that kind of ascension from canons to characters um, in between those what were you in the second half of the movie you said you worked on the final sequence of the movie are there any other little sequences that you when you watch the film you as you say you go That's, that was one of mine or is there anything you're really proud of actually yeah, in the film apart yeah, from that lots of, yeah,
1: like I said there's lots of shots randomly throughout but there's one particular shot I was proud of and it, it was it meant a lot to me when the director came in into the set where I was working especially when he'd seen it and wanted to shake my hand oh. and he said I, that, I'm so impressed by that work. and that just felt so, so nice because he knew what I'd been through it was a painful <laughs> shot to the shoot. trauma so what was and it was, what was the uh, you blink and you miss it It's such a quick shot um, I don't know if you remember the a horse and carriage coming around the corner when Charles Darwin is Calling after the pirate captain, mm-hmm. the, park, the pirates are basically leaving London.
0: So that's when they sort of realise that there's no money to be had yeah. with this with this dodo. That actually, you just get a small little cup, and then you're on your way. And he decides yeah. the pirate captain decides to leave London.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. And Darwin's saying, oh, come on, stay and celebrate." He's trying to convince him to stay, because uh, Darwin's got plans of his own. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I had this very um, complex shot of getting this horse and carriage to realistically go around this corner. Um, and by realistically I mean the horse has to behave like a real horse. And I was studying my bridge, I was studying very carefully every frame trying to get the anatomy working and also the weight of the carriage, how it would tilt sure. naturally, and all of that. Darwin
2: reacting to that. I
0: mean I'm um, gonna jump in with the MyBridge. Just, so you went back to early animation yeah. kind or of, oh, Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I That's had a, to. <laughs> and and the
2: struggle there obviously is that you've got to be able to turn it so it looks like it's being pulled it's away being pulled, by exactly. the gravity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And, and
1: it was a camera move as well, so I was worrying about that. And just when I thought it's not going to get even more complicated, when I was going through this with the director, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. On, on set, said, we said, uh, well, yeah, actually said, "On set, well, I think it'd be nice to have another character down here reacting when the, the carriage comes around, I'm
2: thinking, "Oh no, not another one!" So uh, uh, yeah. a camera move. I don't know why I've never thought about this. before. so the camera's moving while this is happening. Yes. So you're having to animate on a set track of a camera that's plotting a certain movement backwards. Yeah. And that movement's going to take a week. To do uh,
1: well, that movement probably pretty much did take a week to for the camera people to plan out to, to program it.
2: So the, the so the camera moves back at incremental. Yeah, it's all. It's so the camera frame. is it's moving frame program. by frame. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, d- I don't know why possible. I've never thought about that before because, <laughs> of course, the camera's moving in all these movies. Yeah. But yeah, so you're having to plan what you're going to do to the animation to a camera movement that's preset, yeah. whilst it's also playing with back to that dance again. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so, so you did the first go at it. What we, did it look like? Yeah, it
1: looked fine. What you do? What we call passes, well, uh, blocking and rehearsals. All these words they like, give them before you do the actual yeah. shot. And I did the. I remember doing the camera move without any action first. Then I taped down. Showing the trail of where it would go and little markers. Because you need to you know get that horse in the carriage at a certain point in in the camera booth. So you've got to really plan out how long it'll take to get there and then round the corner. Make sure it's not going to go off screen. I think it did slightly, but it was fine. So
2: so with that, you just like take a couple of test shots, just like one there, there,
1: you know. It might take an hour or so just to shoot a test with the camera itself, and then you do a block, which probably took a day or two. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, for a shot that lasts, I don't know
2: eight seconds so it was this so the, the first, first time you snap. did it what it looked to not enough gravity or too much or um,
1: um... No, I think, yeah I think I think the first time I did it would have been as a block so it was only on fours or sixes yeah. um, and looking back I think yeah probably the weight wasn't quite working enough I, th- I think I remember the carriage wasn't tilting enough um, but even though now, like we're, we're also critical of our own work, I look back on it and I think it's probably tilting too much, slightly too much. I did uh, think I did think that when I was watching it. Yeah. Got a note here. What's with the tilting? No. <laughs> I, I could share with you some interesting uh, anecdote in terms of technique at art. When you've got a camera move, um, it's kind of common knowledge in the industry that a camera move should be on what we call ones or single frames because you need that smoothness. Now, Aardman like to shoot the animation on doubles or twos because they describe it as more weighty. So
2: okay, I think you've, lo- you've lost I've me, lost it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Chris is clear, it's still on board, I yeah, can say. So ones and, ones twos. and twos, So yeah. ones is what? One. The camera moves back at a frame per time? Or? Yeah,
1: ones, based on 25 frames or 24 yeah. frames a second, um, the camera move will be moving on every one of those frames. Right,
2: uh, two would be, you would do it. you do on every other frame. Yeah, so okay
1: that's what you shoot on. light, you're doing 12 frames at the same time. Right.
2: And the odd men prefer that? They prefer overall that unless you really have to use one. And, and why is that? Because it's, in a good way, it's a bit more jerky, so that's better for yeah, their style? style or? They, they
1: describe it as just weightier. It's, it's right. got more of a, uh, yeah, just a less smooth look, which is kind of quirky, I guess.
2: So what problems does that cause you, then, as the animator?
1: Well, when, you, when you've got a camera move that's on ones, obviously, the easy option is to animate on ones as well but that's more work and, and plus it, it might look a bit too smooth for Arbonne's kind of look so the solution um, well firstly you can't really animate on doubles if you've got a camera move because then it will strobe it will look very it will jolt and won't look right and it can call awful depending on the type of move so for the first time at Arbonne I was introduced to this thing called one and a halves wow <laughs> somewhere in between ones and twos right. which basically it basically involves you're thinking in twos and you're animating on twos, but on those on every other frame you're sliding the character in the direction of the camera move. So you're not necessarily animating it, you're just keeping it so that it's matching up, so it's basically in the same position on screen. <laughs> Does that
2: make sense? I think I got that, yeah. So you've got to kinda of anticipate what the movement's going to be so that you can move the characters accordingly so it doesn't look like they're moving around yeah, or like yeah. the And I, I had
1: some interesting shots of again towards the end of the film where the pirate captain's going up the stairway and he gets the sword out like this and he's doing all of that and the camera's kind of following up it's like a kind of a dolly shot tracking up with him and because he's going up the stairs and the camera's travelling with him if I just animated on doubles on every other frame the, the pirate captain would appear to be going down the stairs where he should be going up because the camera's going up he's staying where he is do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah so you've got to nudge that puppet up to match the position so it's not strobing
0: and it's not flickering. So this, again this is a whole different <laughs> just, way of thinking about the role of the camera in yeah. stop motion that it's not just recording well, and also your relationship with the camera as we said like it's not just that the camera is recording and that you are one taking it 24 frames a second as we would it there's something more complex. Yeah, real, it's like sp- you and the audience
1: it's like the camera's the eye and and you're kind of you're you're composing everything for this this being this person that's watching it all that. so there's a real
0: there is a real negotiation and a bargain that you are trying to strike with the camera to keep it realistic in, in yeah. kind of quote marks but certainly authentic and believable and, and yeah you're really having to work with the camera as much you're animating the camera as much as you're animating the the characters that are going to be in front of it
1: exactly yeah yeah, and it's this character in its own right. I always it's the way I teach as well. You know, the the camera is a character. It's it's like a spy. It's like somebody who wants the best angle of what's going on. So you got to think about where <laughs> it, what
0: what, yeah, how it's going to perform that action for the spectator, where it's yeah. going to be to register the action. Yeah. And it's also, nice. we'll be moving at the same time as the character moves his eyebrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. A yeah, camera is like the character. The character of the camera is flying. It's like they're hovering and, and trying to get the best view. So you, it's like, you you're creating this journey for them following with you and the golden rule i always follow is is that the, the action should always be slightly ahead of the camera so the camera's just slightly behind because they're obviously following the action if, yeah. if the camera is ahead of the action for me it looks unnatural so i always try and
0: stick with that rule well not a rule but <laughs> I felt like we could talk a long time about the oh, role. No, really though. You could. Get... <laughs> I, th- I think it's
2: sort of as a way of, of gesturing towards the ending, or as we come into the final act of the podcast. The, so the final act of the movie, to me, that was the moment. Even when I was watching it in the cinema for the first time. And I must admit, up until that point, the thought that quite a bit of it was CGI hadn't really occurred to me. And I suspect there are some people out there that it, they just probably think all of it's computer, um, yeah. all, no, all of it's stop motion. Stop motion because yeah, yeah. that's what Aardman do, right? Um, that last bit was the bit where I was like, oh, no, this can't be stopped. Like, just, it's so gravity-defining. Mm-hmm. And there's so many sort of things and it's like in this great big sort of almost steampunk-esque environment with Queen Victoria sort of pulling back her dress and revealing all these contraptions and things, yeah. right? Um, that was the moment I was like, right, okay, now this, has, this is a story that required some level of CGI injection. So I just wondered if, if you worked on that sequence, if you knew anything about sort of how much CGI, how much stop motion, any practical stories, any anecdotes you've got about it? or I did, um, I did bits on that sequence. I know when
1: the bit you're talking about with... Queen Victoria uh, dress opens and she's got that's that's all actually stop motion okay. all of that but so all the characters are stop motion all the characters are stop motion but what was CG was uh, when all the, the, the dough went crazy and mm-hmm. came through the funnels and, and that that was all CGI. Oh, okay. and we never had a complete ship as well so her Queen Victoria's ship that she had um, we had sections of it built um, I did shots of um, Pirate Captain and was it Scarf as well was it Darwin I don't Running along, and it was just on a, on a section of of the ship, but we never had a complete one. So,
2: so that would have all been CG. Were there any Were there any rules about when you don't use? You said you largely the the operating principle is if you can try and do it in stop motion, yeah, do yeah. So that's what we'll do. Stop, so yeah, did, did um, you all you know try once and with everything, and then go? Oh no, that's not going to work. Or did, were there certain moments where we went? Oh, there's no even. I know already we're going to need CGI from that, and if that is the yeah. case what were those what do those things tend to be was it adding things so that you didn't have to I'm trying to I'm I'm still curious about the thing you said about um, the stop motion uh, the the CGI animators animating like it was stop motion Yeah, which I'm always interested because like well if you're going to animate it like it's stop motion why not just why not do it just just do it as so when did you need it oh no that's a CGI moment that's a (laughs) CGI thing we need there I think if it's something that's liquid
1: based that's difficult to control like the sea is an obvious one Mm -hmm. or, or the, the dough itself when it's expanding and it's um, that just makes sense for CG to do that in stop motion would have been incredibly expensive I don't know I just don't know how they would have mm-hmm. done it um, f- things that are flying so things where you need rigging that's like for instance in Shaun the Sheep there's a swarm of bees in an episode now tiny little bees it wouldn't make sense to have a tiny bee on a separate rig and animate them that would have been more work when you can just very easily do it in stop and CG make them fly about right. so, so it's, it, it it's, it's
2: liquid but it seems to also be like sort of scale or, or yeah. you know there's multiple, multi- multiplicity because remember the, 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 yeah. the scientist audience right that's a scene that I was aware with CGI before you mentioned that earlier yeah. but I don't think that like, of all the ones that, that strumps out like why do you need just a bunch of you could just put a bunch of models in the audience couldn't you would be the sort of layman's response yeah. but is it something about the multiplicity that makes it just too difficult to animate or at least very time consuming for it's, no, the, it's
1: the multiplicity I think
2: that to get
1: that many puppets yeah. it would have been more expensive as well.
2: Okay, so it's a it's a finance so thing as part well. Part
1: of it is to do it, yeah, expect, I mean, from what I gather, it's not that much more... Generally, CG films are more expensive than stop-motion films overall. Yeah. Um, but with, with certain things like that, it, it wasn't much work, I don't think, to create one or two models in CG, duplicate them, and then just animate them to keep them alive.
0: So there is still a stop-motion base, That you know, you make the models three dimensionally, or you know, in the real world, and then you duplicate, scan those in, and duplicate those. Yeah, I'm pretty
1: sure that's how it was done in for those sequences. And when when you've got background characters, is what we call keeping them alive. So it might be head tilts, blinks. It's just so they're not just dead, just sat there, and that's pretty straightforward to do. So I guess
0: that they they move in a way that you don't look at them like you, exactly. you you know you, exactly. they, they you sort of become to be drawn, a, drawn to them yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Is, is almost the things you're saying almost like you know it's the what the Lev Manovich's languages of new media so is it multiplicity fractility modularity basically all the th- all the things that he would describe as being sort of inhes- inherent within the sort of coding structure of new media technologies of digital technologies are the things that need did CGI animation things yeah. that are fracturous um all that kind of things and that's so, so, which allows for a film that sort of feels like it's grounded in the real world and yet is a world of fantasy at the same time, which I think is a nice sort of folding together of fantasy and animation. Look yeah, at that. Yeah. We did it. We did it. You um, <laughs> <laughs> it, took, it took us, you know, it took us a well. while. We got there in the end. Actually, final question. This is the most yeah. important question I'm going to ask on this podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Whose idea, if you know, was it to have one of the pirates wear a blue Peter badge? <laughs> yeah. um, and can you introduce us? <laughs> From what I know,
1: I think that was Peter Lord's Peter idea. Peter Lord's idea. Because it's great. He, go, they had a connection with Blue Peter. Blue Peter actually visited the studio at one point. They came, and came and did a feature on it. So I think there was this agreement from the beginning. It was like, oh... We can, can we do this obviously they they had to ask for permission? I think Blue Peter were delighted, yeah, they've just always had this good relationship with Armmund. I think it goes back many years when I think Peter was on blue Peter oh. or Ar won blue Peter I yeah it's a classic classic British though British yeah absolutely classic
2: album. British touch and that yeah. everyone gets it in this audience and I suspect uh, when it was retitled Bands of Misfits that just fine there's a little badge on his um, hat yeah. but it's great it's great, yeah. great. Um,
0: yeah. Richard before we before we let you go um, yeah. where can listeners obviously you, you know you continue we well, continue to work and have an involvement with, with Ardmen you obviously teach as well um, where can listeners find you do you have websites Are you online um, where where yeah. can where can listeners um, search for, for Richard Haynes work yeah.
1: I, well, I, I do have a website. It's basically www.richardhainesanimation.com. Um, some of it needs updating. I'll be honest. Um, people say that, don't they? Maybe this is the you know the, the kick that you need well, to. No, that's <laughs> I tell my no, students, you said it. Update yeah. your website. I've got to practice what I preach. Right. But yeah, my, I've got to update my show reel now. But what I am doing on there regularly is a is a blog at the moment um, where I'm I'm very much interested in in the history of the first company I worked for, Cosgrove Hall. Uh, doing some projects on on them at the moment uh, involved in archiving and my big love of that studio is the wind in the willows which got me into animation in the first place that was that was the thing that made me want to be an animator so So this is a
0: regular blog part of your website yeah yeah there's
1: a blog i I basically i'm
0: reviewing an episode every week
1: um that suits the time of year because it's very seasonal (laughs) the wind in the willows yeah and it's just a way of kind of getting the fan base together seeing what um other people think of these these animations and um, all leading towards this research I want to do into archiving and, and techniques that we used back then.
0: So. And, and it seems like in the discussions that we've had, we've been able to fold some of your practical experience obviously back into when you're teaching students. Yeah. So you're teaching, I mean, I'm interested, I guess, um, and then we will let you go. Uh, <laughs> you teach, what, what what sorts of, I mean, courses, how are, you, how are you making that sort of transition? You're taking your professional experience and feeding it into work that you, you do with the students? Are you focusing on character? Are you...
1: Yeah, well, I, I uh, I've been uh, at the Arts University of Bournemouth for seven years now, so, and my my main role there is to lead the first year. So I teach the basics, the fundamentals of animation, and um, and I bring stop motion into the mix as well. So so we do a, a stop motion kind of workshops at first year. I'm very much involved in the second year where some of them specialise and pursue it further. But yeah, my big thing in terms of teaching is is character and performance, and I I come at it from an actor's angle as well because like. Like I said earlier, I'm I do act on stage as well, and um, and that's the way I approach it. You know, I, I I want all animators to think like actors, and not just sit there at a light box or at a computer all day. They need to feel it themselves, and that's something in my experience that I I'll always hold of great importance. You know, this this thing of feeling the the action in your own body. I think it's so important. Terrific.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, I'll um I'll defer to Alex because Alex can say the name of the. Website and the, the fantasy animation. Oh, Twitter. To, you, can do, do the, you can I do it better to, than me. I have
2: to do my self created tongue twister, but <laughs> I, I don't know why. Uh, but done. I will lead you
0: in <laughs> with Alex's time to set sail. So. Yes, it is.
2: So uh, listeners can find us on fantasy animation.org check out our weekly blog and our bi-weekly podcasts you can also follow us on twitter at fananimresearch f-a-n-a-n-i-m research Research, as well as on facebook Um, search for fantasy animation and you'll find us on the pages you may like and post as you will Um, and suggestions for future episodes will be taken into account and considered Um, but for now that is that is us Uh, Richard thank you very much for joining us Thank you. It's and man, thank you for bringing
0: nice. in some wonderful props. You can't see it. We'll, we'll post a picture, but there are books, there are making of mm-hmm. things, there are flasks, there are a little <laughs> model that you got as an animation. Tro- yeah, everyone in the crew got this little trophy. It's yeah, the Pirate it's of the, the Year pirate award. Yeah. Excellent. Um, it's
2: got quite a bit of weight to it as well, not it? It's great. (laughs) I'm now going to steal it and jump onto a ship and uh, set sail. To an eBay near you. To an eBay near you. Uh, Yeah, times are rough. Uh, (laughs) Podcasting doesn't pay like (laughs) it used to. But until next time, we'll see you then. Uh, Bye. Bye.